Welcome to the Agile Strategy Lab podcast, where we explore what it means to view your organization, your company, or your community through the lens of agility to create a strategy that works in a rapidly changing world. I'm Liz Nilsson, the Associate Director of the Lab at the University of North Alabama. Today's episode, presented in partnership with the Strategic Doing Institute, is number 33. It used to be that bad behavior, at least in public, was something that you saw mostly from toddlers and pets. It was the two-year-old in a full-blown tantrum at the grocery store, or maybe the dog tearing up a neighbor's flower garden. We had a shared value that bad behavior was a mark of immaturity and was something that, fortunately, was mostly a developmental stage in the case of children or could be corrected with training in the case of the Weimaraner or the Beagle. While we might not be able to pinpoint exactly when the change started, it's abundantly clear that the old definition of bad behavior, or at least the expectation that it would naturally disappear, has changed dramatically. And in the last few years in particular, we seem to have lost the collective capacity to engage in the kind of civic conversations our communities need. And the civility isn't limited to town meetings. It's spread into companies, schools, any place else people gather, including, maybe even especially, into our online gathering spaces. This week in North America, we celebrate the idea that our democracies were built on good civic conversations. While there are plenty of myths around the 4th of July in Canada Day, And it's certainly true that those conversations were almost exclusively had by white, property-holding men. Still, we recognize the power and promise of those kinds of conversations. So how do we get it back? Or maybe get it in the first place? This episode is drawn from a recent Third Thursday event that featured three speakers. You'll hear an excerpt from each of them. The first is Lisa Hutchison. Lisa is a lobbyist for a nonprofit organization focused on mental health in Indiana. She's also an elected official serving on her community's school board. She's thought a lot about why we've slid into incivility. And because as a lobbyist, she has to figure out how to assemble coalitions for legislation. She's identified some keys to get it back for the common good. The founders of the Institute for Civility and Government say that civility is claiming and caring for one's identity, needs, and beliefs without degrading someone else's. And I think we forget the second part of that. You know, we're all about claiming and caring for our own identity and our own needs, but we forget that in the process, we cannot degrade someone else. And when I did a uh, cursory glance on Google about civility and politics, there were 5.5 million results uh, in 30 seconds that came up. So obviously this is a, a topic that a lot of people are concerned about. So where has our civility gone? And I can say uh, after having been a lobbyist for over a decade, I have seen the best of people and I've seen the worst of people when it comes, comes to uh, engaging in civil discussions about policy. Um, I don't know if any of you remember this Depeche Mode song, Uh, but they gave us a good life lesson in the 80s. People are people. So why should it be that you and I get along so awfully? 
And um, I think that's true, unfortunately, in a lot of situations, especially politics. So why is it so difficult for us to be civil when we're engaging in politics? I think a lot of it has to do with social media. Um, I like to call it in social media sometimes. You know, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, anyone can say anything they want to say any time of day or night, and they don't have to worry about, you know, even being known sometimes. There are people who have, you know, aliases and, and aren't even who they say they are on social media. And, um, you know, I always say, would I say this to someone's face if I was standing in front of them? If the answer is no, then I don't say it on social media either. Um, so I think you know, the influence of social media and using that as a tool has made it really difficult for us to be civil. Um, people are passionate and passion is a good thing. You know, none of the, the movements in history would have happened without passionate people. But I think, um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it's the loudest voices that get heard and um, the ones that make the, the most um, noise, whether that's good or bad, are the ones who get hurt. Um, and in my profession, lobby, lobbying, you know, you have lawyers who are highly paid to make a lot of noise. I'm not one of them. I'm not a lawyer and I'm not highly paid <laughs> working for a nonprofit, but, but they are. And they're the ones that usually um, get heard first a lot of times. Um, I think time and place matters. And I, I found this term that I liked called civil antagonism. You know, it's fine for us to be that, that other voice and, and push back against things, but I think we have to do it in a civil way. And I think context matters. Um, when someone appears to be uncivil or rude sometimes, um, whether it's during a committee meeting or on you know, the floor of a chamber, um, or during a debate, sometimes that's not a true reflection of who they are. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't. Uh, and then the golden rule, you know, we all learned that growing up, but it takes two of us to create a civil environment. Relationships matter when it comes to politics. Um, from my own personal experience, I can tell you that this has been the thing that I have learned the most as a lobbyist. So politics is not all kumbaya, you know, we're not all going to agree and hold hands and everything's going to be fine and dandy. Um, but what is important, again, is that we build relationships. We are all human beings. Um, you know, we all have family. We all have things that we go through in our lives that we don't see on the surface when someone is opposing us in a committee or voting against our bill on the floor. Um, you know, we all have something as humans that brings us together, whether that is our kids, our grandkids, our pets, our love of barbecue, our love of shoes, in my instance, whatever it is, we all have something that makes us human. And it's really hard to remember that when we're in the throes of an argument or a conversation with someone that we don't agree with. But I think we have to find our common humanity and um, start from there. And then believe it or not, we do have common goals sometimes. I have found very strange partners uh, in my work as a lobbyist, um, mostly with alcohol issues in that the liquor stores 
always seemed to want to, you know, work with me. And at first I thought that was so weird because a lot of the things I, I work on directly impact them and impact the way they might do business. But when it comes to things like mandatory carding for everyone, um, because their employees have to be 21, they found it easier to just card everyone in their stores as a volunteer policy because it took all the guesswork out of their clerks having to make age determinations, which I'm terrible at as well. So that was a common goal when we passed that, that bill. They wanted it for a different reason than I did, but that's okay. We still had we still had a shared goal. The other thing I would like to highlight is the zero sum myth. I think a lot of us have that feeling that it's winner take all. If I don't get everything I want, then I'm walking away. You have to compromise. Um, sure, I may not like four things that are in this giant alcohol bill, but I got six things that I wanted. And, um, you know, there is no winner takes all. It can be a compromise and everyone can have at least, you know, one winning thing when it comes to, to working together. Elected officials and the lobbyists talking with them may be the most visible source of dissension, but in some ways their influence is time limited. Once the laws are passed, whatever they are, it's the job of city, state, or national government, civil servants, to carry them out and shape everyday life for citizens. The second guest, Hunter Morrison, was Director of Planning for the City of Cleveland for 20 years. Cleveland was deeply divided and in an economic crisis when he started his work, and he shared some of the principles that allowed a renaissance to take hold. Perhaps there are some lessons from Cleveland about 40 years ago that can apply to how we emerge uh, collectively in our communities uh, from a crisis and how we learn together to move forward. Um, Cleveland in 1980, you may, may or may not recall, uh, was the laughing stock of the country. It had uh, survived barely two years of very tumultuous political leadership and, uh, and um, former Mayor Dennis Kucinich uh, and a business community that was vindictive and hateful and drove the city into bankruptcy. First city to um, uh, experienced that uh, since the Great Depression, which meant we were out of the bond market, which meant we were basically on our own. Um, no one was going to come help us. So we had a crisis of unemployment. We had a crisis of economic, of, a, of an economic future. And as uh, the strategic doing presentations have, have talked about this, the idea of the of the, the S curve of being able to flip into another. Um, uh, economic framework, another cultural framework. Well, we were in the middle of this and didn't quite know that. So what were some of the lessons that, that we learned uh, in Cleveland that at that time that might be uh, applicable, embedded in, in, in a lot of the thinking of strategic doing? Again, we, we, we were out of the bond market. Um, we, were, uh, we had deep cultural uh, and ethnic uh, um, differences. East side of Cleveland was African-American, West side of Cleveland was white, and uh, 32 wards, and they fought constantly, and they fought with the business community, with downtown, uh, and that had gone back generations. Uh, there were deep, deep class divides, which were getting worse because um, unbeknownst to us, the economy was fundamentally changing in the, in the early 1980s, not only in Cleveland, but throughout the Great Lakes states. Um, uh, fortunately, for the city, um, 
George Voinovich, who had been the lieutenant governor and a, a county official, um, agreed uh, after being recruited to run for mayor, and he ran for mayor on a platform of together we can do it. He had other mantras that he brought and uh, that um, we all as young staff people learned how to recite, and that is do the doable. Now that's a Zen-like expression, do the doable. Well, what is do, what is doable, and how do we determine what to do and how do we do it? That became something we kept working with. Well, by many of the principles of strategic doing reference how do you come collectively to the decision of what's achievable, impactful, and how do you actually set about moving from the ideation to action? But uh, we all learned do the doable, do more with less. In fact, when he retired from public life, uh, all of his staffers from his different lives came together in Columbus. And we, um, we sort of had a, a recitation of, 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 of these phrases. Other phrases that, that, that worked were doing what you can with what you got and disregard, disregard the rest. Do what you can with what you have and disregard the rest. Okay. What are your assets? You ask those questions. What can we work with? What do we have left on the table? We're bankrupt. Remember, we're out of the bond market. We, but we had social networks and we had civic networks and we had people who cared. We have this faith, faith in our future in the community. How do we tap into that? How do we use those intangible assets as well as the significant tangible assets we had? And how do we disregard or put aside the deficits for the moment, focus on the future, focus on what you have. And another concept was start small, grow big. Start small, grow big. Start with something you can achieve. Build patterns of success to replace patterns of failure. Build patterns of collaboration to replace patterns of conflict. And then celebrate those successes, however small or big they are, together, which then builds the ability to take on the next thing. And when I look back uh, at, at Cleveland uh, uh, about 10 years ago, about when we emerged out of the Great Recession, the first deal that went down in Cleveland was a very complex deal along our Cleveland's riverfront, which was, a, for those of you who are in the development business, you would appreciate a 32-layer capital stack. In other words, it took 32 different discrete funding sources to come together to make this project, which people wanted to see happen, and it was the first big project after the Great Recession. And I asked the, some of the people that were putting the deal together after, the, after it occurred, how, what, how did that work? I said, well, everybody at the table, all the different representatives, all the different financing interests had relationships with one another and had worked on some other project and knew that they could trust the other people around the table not to screw it up and to take back to their clients what was real and what was not, what they could achieve and what they had to give up. But everyone was focused on the deal has to happen. Now that would not have happened in 1980 in Cleveland, Ohio. It only happened because over about 35 years, relationships had been built, relationships that built on small things that grew into bigger things that grew into bigger things, it's what happens when you, um, when you build off your networks and then build new networks around shared experiences of success rather than failure. So the little things really matter. 
And I think it's those networks, as I look back over 40 years, those networks which still exist that have allowed this uh, city of Cleveland to, to advance and the communities that don't have those networks uh, have a harder time of it. And what about the rest of us? That is, regular people seeking to be positive forces for change. Ruth Ellen Witt heads Leadership Texarkana. Because of its unique geography, Texarkana presents an extreme example of the need for ordinary citizens to build and use the skills of collaboration and civility. She wrapped up the session by describing how that city is tackling the imperative for collaboration. So there are a few little peculiarities about our community that um, are where civility matters and, and where we know that we need to work. Texarkana, USA is a bi-state community. So there is a stripe in the middle of the road down state line. There's a Texarkana, Arkansas, and there's a Texarkana, Texas. And the uh, tagline for Texarkana, USA, which has been here for, I don't know, 100 years, I don't know how long it's been there, is twice as nice. Texarkana, USA, twice as nice. You have to get along. You have to be able to work together and you have to be civil or you will not go anywhere. You will be spinning your wheels. However, um, back about 10 years ago, we had city leadership at Texarkana, Arkansas and Texarkana, Texas, that literally would not sit down together. And so, and so the way that civility <laughs> has, has been part of my life, I mean, we've got a very diverse community, uh, very, uh, a wonderful community, but as we know from uh, national, uh, the national world, it happens on the local level, it depends on who's in office, and if they are being nice, if they are actually being civil as to whether or not you're going to be able to work together. So civility comes and goes. So how do you, how do you create the system that's gonna allow you to, uh, to come together? Uh, a wonderful person that was in the program about um, 10 years ago said, you know, Ruthellen, we're not twice as nice, we're half as nice. We're, we're, we're uh, going forward as though we are two communities of 30,000 people rather than a community of 67,000 or a region of 150,000. And, uh, and, and, and in my time working with Leadership Texarkana, the biggest, the biggest lesson is that working together is not just a nicety in Texarkana. Texarkana will die on the vine if our community cannot work together. If people cannot come together and work, we have no competitive advantage. The capacity for leadership uh, in the people that are, are working together as the team is absolutely critical. The key capacity that those people need to have is working together. Working together is the key. It's individuals who make the difference. It's not the organizations. It's individuals who are stepping up and making that first effort at civility. Uh, let's just put it, or civility or working together or is, is the important thing, is to influence individuals and give them the power and the opportunity and empower them to be the one who set, steps up to initiate working together. And numbers matter. There is no team community institution that makes anything of significance happen if only 2% of the entity is really uh, working together and is on the same page. It really takes 
numbers. And so um, all of this is, is kind of uh, framed in what it is that we do. It drives everything that we do. We have all kinds of diversity under the surface, all kinds of, of um, <laughs> incipient, uh, closely hidden, whatever kind of hot button points that we could that we could uh, let take us God knows where. But it's very interesting because we are also, we are known as a civil community. We are the ultimately civil people. We actually just got Reader's Digest, got awarded for being the nicest community in Texas and Arkansas, okay? So we're very nice, but all these things are all boiling around. So we don't yell at one another. We don't yell at one another, but I can guarantee you that there is stuff right under the surface, stuff, okay? And by design, strategic doing is a process that gets you to civility. It is, and about valuing every voice and working together and valuing everybody's contribution. You know, we have so, so many reasons that we could be uncivil, that we could refuse to come together, that could divide us. We have got to produce results. We've got to work together, show people we can work together. And that's going to be the key, I think, to a civility that we can embrace. It is don't sit there and focus on the uncivil parts. It is bring people together around the design that can get you to the table around something that gets you to yes, to where you can build the trust that is going to be needed for civility going forward. Thanks for listening. If you would like to learn more about how the lab helps communities and organizations have the kinds of good conversations that lead to transformation, check out our website at agilestrategylab.org. You can email us through the website just look for the Contact Us button. Learn more about Strategic Doing at strategicdoing.net. See you next time. Mm -hmm.